I always tell people, get a good vibrator. You need more vibrational frequency. You need to sort of stimulate the nerve endings a little bit more strongly. And so don't be scared of vibrators or toys or talking to your partner. And I'm also hearing that we should visit our sponsor. Oh, uh, Adult Temptations. Get some lube. Get a a vibrator. We refer to Adult Temptations all the time. They are lovely. They're they're sex positive. They're feminist. It's not. That's right. It's not. People get this idea of like sex shops. This is like Granville Street, Triple X, CD, and it's really, really not. This is Frisky North of 60. I'm Mark Kelly. And I'm Karen McCall. It's nice to have you back, Mark Kelly. I was away for a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy uh, Yukon summer. It's the thing, right? When you live up north here, you, you don't spend any time inside because it's bright out, it's warm out. Although I was in Alaska and it was very rainy. Mm. Yeah, and it was gorgeous here and it was really hard to look at the weather forecast because <laughs> we were, where we left was so much better. But I had a good time. It's always fun in Alaska. We've got a, another great episode coming up today. However, just a little flashback to the last episode, which Mark, I'm not sure you've listened to yet. No, what makes you say that? <laughs> because you told me. I told you that because I wasn't in it. It's my narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I, uh, I have got it queued up. I just haven't turned it on yet. Well, so uh, the last episode was Carmen and Crispin's canoe race. It's called something like a thousand miles of togetherness by boat. Um, and if you haven't listened to it yet, a little bit of incentive. We've had some nice feedback. Yeah, totally. Um, some people really said that they loved it so much that they laughed, they cried, and that they are so in love with Carmen and Crispin. And how can you not be? Uh, I also got a text from a friend, which she gave me permission to share. This is a friend who's been down in the U.S. Um, on um, with her new baby and husband. And she said she just listened to the latest episode. She said she was actually feeling a bit worried about coming back to the Yukon because of the cold. And she really enjoyed her warm summer in the U.S. so much. And then she said, then your podcast reminded me that Whitehorse and the Yukon has such amazing people. And I'm reminded why I love it so much. Feeling extra stoked to return now. Right. Yeah, and I'm excited for this friend to return, too. She comes back in a couple of weeks. Oh, so. sweet. Yeah, That's great. that was a nice warm fuzzy. Yeah. We also uh, we posted a survey. Sure did. Yeah, how do you feel about the canoe? That was a question we posed on Facebook, and I had provided two options. One of them was definitely a divorce boat. The other option was, oh, such a pleasure craft. <laughs> we got, for the definitely the divorce boat, we got 29% of our respondents. It's a significant number. There are so many stories of how... The, the canoe has ended relationships. It's pretty relatable. Yeah, so if you got one out there, feel free to shoot it over to us. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, we'll share it. 42% said, oh, such a pleasure craft. And then we had some uh, options also for people to uh, add their own answers. Some were undecided. It, it's, and that surprised me. Mm. Maybe they haven't been in a canoe before with their partner. With their partner, that's true. Yeah, it's possible. Someone said the canoe was a test of communication and collaboration with great power for pleasure and or divorce. That is accurate. Totally accurate. Yep. Uh, You could go either way, getting your true Canadian badge, Pierre Burton style, but certainly is fun, is a fun endeavor. endeavor. No? (laughs) Is certainly a fun endeavor. No, I was avoiding the word endeavor because I always trip over that word. Oh, <laughs> well, does it does? Yeah, you know what that means, right? The Pierre Burton and thing. Oh well, other than him being like the quintessential Canadian and has written <laughs> about every single way of being a Canadian. Well, and one of them, his his famous quote is, "Every good Canadian should know how to have sex in a canoe." Oh, I did not know that. Well, yeah. I believe it. 
Yeah. So that's that's what that. We, that should be our next survey. To. Have you? Yes or no? It's a simple yes or no. Yeah. Have you had sex in a canoe? Yeah. Have you? Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, yes. Uh, intercourse. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> like, have you sexual. made out? Have you made yeah, out like in I've, a canoe? I've definitely had. I've definitely had fun in a canoe. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I don't think. I mean, I've had fun in a canoe. I don't think I've had that kind of. Fun I, I don't in a know canoe. that I, nothing's jumping out in my memory bank, so I'm thinking I haven't had that kind of fun. Okay, but I've had fun, fun. Another piece of housekeeping is uh, to announce our hot springs. The person who's winning the two admissions to the Eclipse Nordic Hot Springs, and we decided that through a very complicated algorithm where these people had to like and comment. Well, they had to fill out that survey, the aforementioned survey, and like our Facebook post. The winner is none other than Melanie Collette. Hello, Melanie. Congratulations. For once, it's not someone I actually like know personally. So Melanie will be messaging <laughs> you and hopefully you're in the Yukon and we'll let you know how you can get these tickets. That's right. And we should probably also let her know that the algorithm spat our names out first, but we had to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had to like... <laughs> yeah, the first name was Mark and the second name was me. So you're actually the third runner up. But we should you're stop commenting lucky. on our own posts. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook's probably caught on to that. Yeah. Okay, now on to today's episode. Um, it, we recorded it back in June and it took a few months for us to actually edit it. And I was just saying to Mark that when I was listening to it, it was like hearing it for the first time. Yeah, it's like it feels like forever ago. There's been so much water under the bridge. But it was so great because when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, yeah, wow. Like the learning was all so fresh and knew that I was like, okay, I need to implement some of these things they mentioned. So and Michelle and Sean are so good. They know they know exactly what to talk about. They do. Yes, they did an awesome job. So Michelle Walski is a nurse practitioner, as I believe also is Sean O'Donovan Shipman. Mm-hmm. And they've been running the Sexual Health and Women's Midlife Clinic for nine years. I'm not yeah. sure if both those clinics, but the clinic, the clinic proper anyway and they tell us basically about what some of those services are we focus on this episode in the women's midlife clinic just because we didn't have as much time to get into the sexual health clinic so we'll do a future episode yeah i think about that. Be good to have them back uh, but lots of great information in this uh episode for those uh we we referred to the people people with uterus is uteri uh, also and also for people without uteruses there's just lots of great information That's in right. here that's right, yeah. there is. You'll know what those references those, mean yeah. once we get into the episode. Get going for it. Yeah, that's right. Do you want to roll this in? <laughs> okay, sure. Well, uh, Michelle, Sean, welcome to Frisky North at 60. Tell us all about yourselves. Thank you for having us. Yeah, um, I'm Michelle Walski, and I have been a nurse practitioner for 10, 11 years now. And we've been running the Yukon Women's Midlife Clinic and the Yukon Sexual Health Clinic for nine. Okay. And... You were my first friend in the Yukon. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> that is very true. When you lived in that weird little basement, basement suite. Basement suite on Hawkins that yeah. is, uh, yeah, still there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to see you in this context, yes. though. Yeah. Sean? Uh, and I'm, my name is Sean, and I've been a nurse practitioner since 2006. I graduated, and um, yeah, and I work and run the Yukon Sexual Health and Yukon Women's Midlife Clinics. What are those clinics? Let's start with this uh, women's sexual health clinic. What Can you just give us an overview of what, what happens there? So the sexual health clinic is a clinic for all genders, all ages, um, for sexual and reproductive health, um, whatever that looks like. We have um, a very robust population of trans patients and gender diverse patients, as well as um, 
everybody who needs anything related to their sexual and reproductive health. And how about the um, the midlife clinic? What's what's that one? That that's a clinic that's specific to um, women only, and any woman. I mean, we put the age of over the age of forty, but we've had younger women come, um, and that clinic is specific for providing services, education, knowledge, and healthcare to women who are undergoing the transition in their later reproductive years and transitioning towards their post reproductive years. What does that mean? That means they no longer can make babies. They oh, stop okay. menstruating. Okay. Yeah. So there's about there's like your early reproductive years, your reproductive years, and your late reproductive years. Okay. So do we use the word menopause anymore? Yeah, but that's more of an umbrella term. Okay. It's an overarching term. Well, the actual definition of menopause is no uh, menstrual bleeding for 12 consecutive months. Oh. Okay. Um, mind you, that can get complicated. <laughs> but really, it's it's... Well, Michelle, do you want to add to that? There's more to it. It's nuanced. So there's what's called menopause transition. And then once you've hit your 12 months of no bleeding, then you're considered postmenopausal. So you're actually menopausal for about a minute um, in terms of actual definition. But it's a lot of people in sort of common nomenclature just use the word menopause. Okay. And then I hear perimenopause a lot. Yeah. What is that? That's a that's the probably the biggest thing that put menopause on the map is when women start to notice the symptoms um, leading towards when they are menopausal, and it is a hormonal shift. The ovaries basically start to semi-retire, and then ultimately they retire. But they don't get to go to Florida. Well, they might be there. <laughs> They're there too. <laughs> And then, so the key here for us on this podcast is to talk about dating and life uh, when we're in relationships. And so I'm I'm curious, perimenopause and what are the three stages again? Help me out. Uh, Perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. Right. So the effects of those on relationships and and dating and sex life and that kind of thing. Do you want to launch into that maybe? I think it's um, varied. So I don't think that there's one... Uh, thing that everybody's going to experience. What we have, or what I've seen, and and Sean has probably seen it as well, but can speak to it more, is that people come in to our clinic, and I'll just say the clinic is for women, but they're also for for non-binary and trans men, so people with a uterus, whose uterus and reproductive functions will stop functioning and will have symptoms because of that. And what they will come in... um, often with what we call the primary symptoms. So hot flashes, uh, sleep changes, mood changes. And then there's a whole host. There's not a part of the body that isn't affected by hormones. And so depending on where people are in their relationships, in how they feel in their bodies, how they feel in their lives, that can look different in terms of their sex life and their, and their dating. There can be real physical changes like the lack of estrogen in vaginal and urethral tissue can cause real conditions like dryness and painful intercourse and uh, urinary incontinence, um, urge incontinence, things like that. But uh, there can also be a real shift. It's a time of transition. So people start to look at where their lives are at, where their relationships are at. Maybe mood um, mood is a big uh, disruption, is a big 
often why women and uh, people with uteruses will come into our clinic is because their moods feel like they're going crazy. That's often what pe what people will say is, I feel like I'm going crazy and I don't recognize myself anymore. And I feel like all that I am is this bottle of rage or this bottle of anxiety. And so what we know is that sexuality is incredibly context dependent. And so when people uh, sort of sexual theory in, in really basic terms is like a break in a pedal. And so if you have a lot, of, and context is a big weight on your break. So if you don't feel good in your body, you don't feel good in your life, that's a really big brick on your break in terms of sexuality. Uh, so they come in complaining about they, their sex drive is low or their libido is low and what can we do about it? And so it's really looking at the big picture of what's happening hormonally and what's happening sort of contextually in people's lives. So there's a lot of counseling involved, like conversation, I would imagine, hey? A lot of interview. Yeah, I'd say that is the bulk of what we do. Is talk. Is talk, yeah. That's why we have appointments that are, you know, slotted for 45 minutes to an hour. Which is really different, people. right? Yeah. That doesn't happen in the medical world, really. No. no. No, and that's why I think that we are as popular as we are, not because we do a lot different in terms of the actual prescribing of medication or um, provision of care. It's just that we provide time for people to tell their stories we prioritize that well let's just be honest it's pure awesomeness that makes you popular well yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. they met you <laughs> yes there is that <laughs> yeah i didn't want to say it but <laughs> since you brought it up since, we, since we're here <laughs> and when you say popular um like is there quite a big uh like waiting time to get into the clinic yep i think we're what two months for first intake yeah 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 so if you're doing 45 minute uh, client sessions or patient sessions, how long of a day are you putting in? You must be doing like long days. Not every appointment is 45 okay, minutes. Okay, okay. The first time we meet an individual, we spend 45 minutes with them because that right. way we can build a relationship, some trust. We can ask them all about, you know, all the different, um, you know, areas of health or so sexual, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, all that kind of stuff. And then get a good kind of picture of who they are and what they're needing. And then from there, follow up appointments are more like half an hour. We still just put in, well, theoretically, we put in 7.5 hours a day. We get paid for 7.5. We get paid for 7.5 <laughs> <laughs> hours a day. So we often will start at 8 and finish at 5-ish okay. and then do stuff in the evenings or weekends. Um, we don't see patients on Fridays, so that's our administrative day. So that is a lot of catch up and follow up. So yeah, yeah we do have long days. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine you really do. With the midlife clinic, uh, how how much of the conversations are related to relationships and impacts uh, some of these uh, symptoms are having on on relationships? Huge, huge. And you know, one thing I was gonna say, like, yeah, it's there's such a huge impact on relationships because if you can imagine, if as a person with a uterus who suddenly doesn't even recognize themselves, how do they see themselves in that relationship, whatever that might be, or how do they enter into a new relationship? You know, there's often can be a lot of relationship breakdown at that time in a woman's, or in a uteri life. Can I, should I do that? Like, how do I? Okay. Uteri? Is that a uteri? Well, I, I just made it up. Okay. I think so. <laughs> it is now. Okay, great. Um, anyway, yeah. And so when you're already questioning who you are and what your like values are and your beliefs and what you've done for the first last 40 years of your life and what do you want to do moving forward because you're suddenly challenged with all these changes um yeah there is often a lot of disconnect and I spend a lot of time sort of trying to encourage individuals to individual uteri to um just 
take a step back. It's a time for them to reflect, but also to be open and communicate with their partner about what's happening. Because I, yeah, it's a really important to share with your, you know, your romantic partner, your family, um, any, you know, friends, what exactly is happening so they know that you're not going crazy. You know, one other interesting thing when it talks about like relationships, um, one of the highest uh, rates of STI contraction is in people over the age of 50. And oftentimes it's because maybe a relation, long-term relationship is broken down. They're entering the dating scene. They are no longer ovulating. So they don't think they need a condom for pregnancy. So they're just like, woo, you know, they didn't, STIs weren't as big of thing or talked about as much in the, their younger years. So they don't know about condom use for, um, STI protection. This right, is so the that's fuck tear. Oh, the fuck tear. Yes, that was in a previous episode of the post-divorce uh, fuck tear. Yeah. Fuck tear. We're, we're still trying tear. to get that lingo to spread. Yeah, that was what... Somebody... Like as in you're going on a tear to fuck? Yeah, dating. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know I sort of, it's sort of a cringy word, but like Super a dating cringy, tear. Yeah. It made me laugh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, really they're not wrong. When I think about the clinic, I'm like, they're not wrong. No, no. no. <laughs> well, when you said fuck tear, I'm thinking of like a postmenopausal dry vagina. Like a tear in it. <laughs> oh, Because that's that's visual. Oh, right. The nurses in the room. It's actually, though, it's really important. So, vaginal health is really important. I'd like to talk about that because um, in recent years, it's great that we're hearing more about menopause, right? Like Jen Gunter, the Menopause Manifesto. And it's just, I hear it on CBC now, people having discussions about this. But in terms of some of the nuanced things, like Michelle, you'd mentioned um, the estrogen effects and, and then the, the fuck terror. Uh, so like, what are some of the sort of specific things that people like that people with uteri are experiencing that um, could impact their relationships? Like, so there's the real physical reality that when the tissues of the urethra and the vagina lose estrogen, they lose their elasticity. So when you're 20, your vagina is like an accordion, right? It sits shallow and then it's meant to stretch and expand for babies and sex. And then when you lose the estrogen, you lose that elasticity, you lose that stretch. And so now you're asking tissue that goes from like the thickness of your arm to the thickness of your, the back of your hand to stretch. And that can be really uncomfortable. It can cause tearing. Uh, there, it can cause some weakness in the structure. So there are things like prolapse where the structures like bladder and the uterus fall into places they're not supposed to. Um, more bladder symptoms, um, irritation. And so all of a sudden, a very delicate area of your body feels like sandpaper. It feels uncomfortable. You're avoiding intercourse because it's uncomfortable. Uh, or maybe you are too embarrassed because you never even said the word vagina in your life. And now you're having all these symptoms and you have a sexual partner that you don't feel comfortable talking to about. And so you're grinning and bearing really painful intercourse. Uh, so there's a lot of physical changes that happen that I think we don't talk about. And so women and people with uteri don't even um, know to even that it there is treatment for. So yeah, what are the what are the in this specific case of, of the the uter or the vagina changing? What what specific treatments possibilities are there? Well, to start with, we we you know when a woman first starts experiencing sort of dryness, if she hasn't already, if they have not already been using lube, um, then we would encourage like a water based lube, not silicone based lube, water based lube. If that is not effective or can, it gets worse even despite using lube then the next step would be um replacing that estrogen and there's local um 
prescriptions, like localized medication that we would give. So it's a cream or a tablet that a woman would put into their vagina um, or and, and or around like in the vulvar area just to sort of re-estrogenize it. It's very, very safe method um, or a very, very safe medication prescription. So, so I just want to make sure I understand that. So you're, you'd use these topical creams or whatever, uh, at like a half an hour before or something like oh, that, or, like, no, or is it all the time? Yeah. Once you've lost your estrogen, you lost so your estrogen. So it, it's going to be an, an, yeah, you're going to do it in, like all the time. Indefinitely. Like having like any other kind of skin condition, you would need to put it on for. Right? Yeah. Okay. So it's typically, it's an add back of estrogen. And so you use it, you load the dose every night for two weeks and use it twice weekly or two to three times weekly for the rest of your life. You can use it as long as you're sexually active. You can use it until you're 100 years old because it helps with your bladder symptoms. It's super helpful to know that because uh, when I talk to, I have a handful of friends that are starting to experience this change in life thing. And they uh, think that hormone replacement, that HRT, is is really like a really invasive difficult thing to be going through and this sounds like something it's all it's, on the on the well, continuum but there's a difference because i mean it is a hormone replacement but um historically what people think of when they think of his hormone replacement therapy is like an oral systemic um so or yeah a systemic form of hormone replacement which is also unfortunately got a bad rap because of a really poorly performed research study way back in when was that the 70s well, 70s and then 2001 the women's health initiative yeah. and then they reevaluated it in 2001 and, it, and we're learning more and more and now it's actually the pendulum is swinging the other way and they're actually saying no you know what hormone replacement therapy actually is really good if you're a good candidate there's certain things not all women can get hormone replacement therapy for various reasons but if you are a good candidate based on your healthcare provider's assessment then it, they, it can be helpful in so many different so many more avenues than just the vasomotor symptoms that people think of when they think of menopause. Yeah. And, and the fact that there's multiple ways to receive it, not just the blunt instrument of one oral, like a pill that does it for the whole entire body. That's fantastic to know. There's the pill a, is different than the, the vaginal yeah. application though, because the vaginal application does not deal with your overall body symptoms. It just deals with the vagina and the urethra. Yeah. And that's the same for the pill, the pill that's inserted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And there's a, uh, sexual medicine uh, urologist out of the States, Dr. Rachel Rubin, that always says every vagina over 45 should have add back estrogen because of how much we know that it helps in terms of maintaining elasticity, maintaining like pH and bacterial health, as well as bladder symptoms, as well as sexual arousal. Because that's the, the, in terms of like dating and sex. So yes, there's like the structural dryness thing, but there's also the nerve endings when they lose their estrogen, they lose their sensitivity. So orgasm becomes kind of more difficult to achieve and kind of more meh um, when that's it happens. So, so it is, but we hear there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a help for that. There's yeah. a help. So <laughs> yeah. est- like adding back estrogen. And then I always tell people get a good vibrator. You need more vibrational frequency. You need to sort of stimulate the nerve endings a little bit more strongly. And so don't be scared of vibrators or toys or talking to your partner. If what always worked isn't working anymore. You're, you're allowed to talk to your partner and have those open conversations. I don't think we've had an episode where we didn't where we didn't talk about communication. There hasn't been a single episode in the last two seasons that we've it's, talked. It's like the hardest thing that we do and then the most important thing that we should be doing. It's so crazy, hey? It's challenging to communicate sometimes. And it, I'm also it? hearing that we should visit our sponsor. Oh, <laughs> get uh, Adult Temptations. <laughs> get some lube. Get a, get some get lube, a vibrator. Get a vibrator. We refer yeah. to Adult Temptations all the time. They are lovely. They they are. They're, they're so sex nice. positive. They're feminist. It's not... That's right. 
it's not people get this idea of like sex shops as is like Granville Street, Triple X, C D and it's really, really not. Like if you're like I can't go to Adult Temptations because the like whatever person might see me walk in. There's great online stores, women's wear out of Vancouver on Commercial Drive, the Ginger Peach in Calgary, like the um the art of loving on Broadway in Vancouver. Like there's some really great sex positive stores that you can online order, come in a brown box. Mm -hmm. Nobody will know what came and they'll help you. You can talk to them on the phone. And adult temptations, I believe, I know during the pandemic, they, they would ship stuff too. And they do like curbside and stuff too. They're still still doing curbside. Yeah. 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 They're, they're fantastic in there. So how are people with uteruses reacting when you're sort of providing them or offering them some of these treatment ideas? And, and like, are they kind of like blown away? Like, hey, this is something that can be addressed and yeah. helpful? More times than not. More times than not. And, you know, the thing is, again, with our having a 45-minute interview with the patients or the individuals, we have an opportunity to ask them the questions because a lot of people aren't going to come out and say my vagina feels like sandpaper or suddenly sex doesn't feel good with my partner you know they're not going to say that so you, we ask it some women are or uteri or just like what nobody's ever asked me that before as a matter of fact and yeah mm-hmm. more times than not it's it's kind of cool i feel very fortunate to be in the position that we are to provide that education to people it seems like you ask the questions in the right way, too, because I think just thinking about my own experience with my physician, <clears throat> the question is often, anything you want to tell me? And I'm like, uh, you know, like my mind goes blank. But if it's a targeted conversation, then perhaps I'm going to answer it with some real honesty or, geez, I hadn't even thought that that might be a thing, right? I never thought that, that I just I just heard when you're in this age range, uh, you get dry. And I thought I had to grin and bear it. I didn't even know it was a problem or didn't even know it could be addressed. Yeah, there's really specific intake questions that we ask around sleep and mood and hot flashes and sexual function and um, relationship because it's such a time of transition. Like often you have, for some people, they've got kids that are like ready to launch and then they have elderly parents and they're at the peak of their careers. And there's a there's research and I cannot think of the the actual um, author of this study right now but it's like the u-curve of happiness and middle life is at the bottom of the u-curve mm. because you're sort of happy in childhood because you've got like disposable income and unless you're like have a traumatic childhood you right. generally have a relatively happy childhood not a lot of responsibility you hit the bottom of the u-curve in middle life and then as you age and you kind of gain a bit more freedom in terms of your responsibilities and maybe more disposable income you go up the u-curve again and so people with uteruses often find themselves in that bottom of the u-curve as well as experiencing a lot of physical transformation and transition and so all of a sudden you don't recognize yourself Mm -hmm. and if you've never learned the skills of communication to like talk to your partner or you have a partner that doesn't have those skills and isn't available for that communication it's going to be really really lonely mm-hmm. and so um where what i think we do really well at our clinic is we give people space to talk yeah and feel heard and feel seen in a way that maybe they haven't in their lives before you know the piece on loneliness really resonates with me the the uk three or four years ago uh, introduced the ministry of loneliness noticing that that people who feel disconnected and and and, and isolated uh, have health symptoms similar to those who smoke a pack a day, which is, you know, of course, interesting. Adding in a ministry means that they're looking at the cost of that. But we aren't there yet in in this country, and I think that's really fantastic that we're like we're giving people a place to feel connected, and not it's not just about the medical, right? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it's about feeling like you can tell somebody, 
and gain some skills around how to open this conversation at home? Well, I have I have so many, a number of um, individual with uteri that you know. Okay, so we've done all the things we've done. They're on the you know heading on up that U curve. I'm like, okay, so you know you can. Feel free to come back if you ever need. I think we're we're good. And they're like, well, I'm actually just gonna come back and say hi. Yeah. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I just <laughs> like to like, come and check in. It's kind of form these relationships. Yeah. 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 And I appreciate that because then you get to see where they've gotten to, you know, and keep tabs, checking in. Yeah, that's a big part of being a helper, right? You don't always see the outcome. Yeah. Like it's really intangible sometimes. Yeah. I'd like to go back to the communication piece for a minute. You said one of the barriers is is like people with uterus who aren't necessarily that comfortable talking about what they're experiencing but how much of a challenge are people having communicating to their partners and and the reaction are you hearing about like partners who are supportive or partners who maybe aren't as supportive yeah both a bit of both yeah some some people are just so grateful for the opportunity to talk about sex because our our sexuality is so construct dependent um there's a i i tell everybody there's a great book called come as you are by Mm -hmm. emily nagoski that everybody should read read it yeah i know um and it's really about like this is your garden and you were planted all this stuff from your your family of origin and your religion and your society and you get to weed it and pick what sticks but for some people that is really really powerful in terms of what they grew up believing about sex and a lot of shame and and um what so to be told that they're allowed to talk about sex and then talk to a like for some people it's the first time they and their partners have ever talked about sex or they've stopped having sex and it's been two years but nobody's even mentioned or talked about why they're not having sex and so to to have a a person go back to their partner and and open that conversation and have it be met with reception and safety and and love is profound but the there can also be the opposite like I've had people where their partner has like shut it down and it's been really shame-based and so then it's really navigating some of that and luckily there's I like I'm like everybody should be in therapy like everybody needs a therapist because there needs to be a neutral safe place to talk through this kind of stuff if you don't have a partner that um, will provide that for you. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the one area of relationship that is uh, taboo still. And it's quite like we don't, we don't encourage this. I, mean, I think we're starting with our children in, in most recent generations. But like, you know, if I think back to my, to my family upbringing, it was never really a conversation. It became a conversation when there was a problem. Like, you know, as a teenager, my dad would talk to me about something. And if I said, oh, I'd give him a quick answer, be like, good. Good talk. Thanks. Yeah. And off he goes, right? Well, and, and sex education historically has been about how not to get pregnant and yep. how not to get a disease. It's never been about pleasure. It's never been about respect consent, and respect, and communication. Yeah. And do you want to? Do you not want to? What feels good? Like, our, we always laugh in our clinic. The only rule is it has to be consensual and don't yuck anybody else's yum. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, uh, everything else is on the table. That's a that's a good that's a good uh, phrase for life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emily Nagowski also has a podcast, "Come as You Are," as well. Which it's brilliant. Find. Yeah, yeah, helpful. Yeah, yeah. it's a good good resource. Uh, talking about other menopausal or perimenopausal uh, symptoms, hot flashes. How how are people finding those or uh, impacting their relationships? It's yeah. Um, well, maybe we should talk first about what what a hot flash is. 
a hot flash and night sweats, they are a vasomotor symptom where it's like your thermostat is broken and they can be brought on for any number of reasons and for no reason at all, all to do with the lack of estrogen or the decline in estrogen. And um, yeah, you suddenly, everyone else in the room is wearing their you know, Canada goose jacket and you got a tank top on and a little fan and you're flushed. And so that's a, that's a hot flash usually happens during the day. And then a night sweat, like it's name implies, happens during night, the nighttime. And I think, you know, from a sex perspective, um, it's kind of, it is also is sort of nuanced with the vasomotor symptom because really if you're getting sweats at night and you're not sleeping well, then you feel like crap the next day. And then you don't really feel that's sexy or into it and then it gets to become uh sex or sleep what do i want hmm. mm-hmm. i think i'll choose to sleep if i can get it so yeah right so some of the impacts aren't really like direct cause and effect but it's just the bigger picture of yeah health and yeah and when you when you don't feel good in your life for either because you're not sleeping like we i've had patients that they're sleeping 20 minutes a night mm-hmm. and it's it's a real thing it's an it's a cortisol hormonal shift thing that disrupts sleep um so if you're not sleeping or you're having stress with work or whatever's happening um and you don't feel like having sex the other thing that happens is there's a hormonal shift that um there's a shift from what's called spontaneous desire to acquired desire. And so if you don't, it, spontaneous desires, you're, you feel like you want to have sex and you're kind of into your partner and you've got that sort of energy coursing through your body. And uh, acquired desire is like, you could care less if you ever had sex again, but if you, it's important to you, it's important to your partner, you start having sex and you're get, like, you're into it and you're glad you did. That's acquired desire. Mm. Sort of like, what's the expression? It, you know, you may not feel like pulling the car out of the garage, but if you do, <laughs> that Sunday drive might be fantastic. <laughs> Just pull the car out of the garage, start the engine. <laughs> That's a part that of actually Emily Nagoski wrote about in her book that uh, resonated with me. And I think she also mentions that people with uterus is more common to have acquired desire yeah. more of the time anyway. yeah. yeah 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 there's a this is a very very basic and and if somebody goes and actually looks at the research it's probably a little bit wrong but um they they did a study where they took like a hundred people with penises and a hundred people with uteruses and they showed them sexual stimuli and 80 percent of the people with penises went had a physical and emotional response to it and 80 percent of the people with uteruses went that's interesting but what else is going on in my life mm-hmm. um and so it's really that context dependent and then patricia bacon who used to live in the yukon our house sexologist our house sexologist she's been on the show okay perfect so you guys are also kind of our house sexologist (laughs) so patricia a couple years before covid uh did a workshop for we called it sex sweat and sleep um and she did the sex part of a, a workshop for midlife and it was brilliant so she talked a lot about that acquired desire and then she talked about if it's important to you and your partner and that first of all there's no normal people come in and want to know what's no, what's a normal amount of sex how much sex should they be having there is no normal some people are asexual some people have sex once a year some people have sex every day there is really no normal it's what works for you and for your partner but if it's important to you, if it's important to your partner, and you don't have that energy, 
she talked about thinking about it on a scale to one to 10. So if you're a two, if you're feeling two, try and foster that energy. Like maybe you kind of flirt with your partner or whatever. Um, but if you're at a five or higher, then make it an appointment. She's like, treat it like your doctor's appointment. Like don't blow it off, make an appointment for sex and follow through because generally you're really happy that you did. Mm -hmm. And it actually then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah, that's kind of the thing for a lot of things that make us happy in life. Like yeah. I think about how hard it is to get off the couch to go for a bike ride sometimes. Yeah. You know, and when I do, always I'm always happy. Yeah. Like there's never a time where I'm not. Yeah. And the same would go for sex. Yeah. There's never a time where I'm not. That was bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad decision. I've never once had that experience. Yeah. <laughs> We're already, we've already been about half an hour in. I can't believe this conversation is flying by. What I'm going to suggest is we stay on the midlife clinic and then maybe in the future we have you guys on again to talk just about the sexual health clinic? Yeah. Is that okay? Absolutely. Is there any other burning things that are important to talk about, do you think? Um, well, one thing I just wanted to say from another reference perspective is a book called Menapocalypse. Oh. I've just recently uh, <laughs> finished fantastic. it. And, you know, when when I first heard the name, I thought it was funny, hadn't read it, looked at the cover, thought, oh, that kind of turned me off. But it's really fantastic. It's by Amanda Thebe. How I Learned to Thrive during menopause and how you can too. <laughs> so yeah. Sean's showing us the cover right now. I can see why that might have caused you to pause. <laughs> yeah. I was like, mm. but it's, it is actually really fantastic. It's, it's not quite like the menopause manifesto, which is more of like a reference and very scientific gynecology based thing. It's more of a personal story, but she's also very knowledgeable. So I would put that in there as well. Oh, and I was also going to say from the menopause clinic or the women's midlife clinic that you don't need a referral. Any woman can call and book, but generally we reserve the spots for women over the age of 40 for sure, and some women over the age of 35, because it can start around that time for some women. I was listening to something, um, a podcast actually by Jen Gunter, anyways, her Vagina Bible book, another yeah. another reference book, and she was talking about SDI. Since you mentioned SDIs earlier, um, one thing that stuck with me there was the... Um, HPV shot and apparently she still recommends those for women up to 45 is that something yep. that yeah um it's not funded past age 26 no that's or, the that's yeah. the one thing that is challenging is that it can be cost prohibitive it's a really expensive vaccination it's 300 dollars a dose and you need two and you three? need three okay and so you're looking wow. at a thousand dollars for the vaccination it's publicly funded in the yukon uh most it, it's offered in grade six um, and then if you started your series in the Yukon, but you didn't finish it, you can, f you can get it, even if you're 25, you can get it finished, but you, over the age of 26, it's not publicly funded. And so then you have to pay. Even if your series is not finished. If your series was started before yep. in the Yukon, yep. they will finish your series. No matter how old you are. No matter. Okay. However, if you are 28 years old and you've never had it, you're you're looking at coverage either privately or through an extended healthcare. And why is that? Do you know? Because the, eff the effectiveness of the vaccine does wane with the more partners you have. And theoretically, the older you get, maybe some people don't have any, many partners after that age. But I think overall, the, the yeah, the effectiveness of the vaccine. Um, and, and your highest risk yeah, factors tends to be in your sort of early teens or like late teens, early 20s, exploratory multiple partners. Okay. Um, in terms of like actually how many partners you're going to have then versus when you're 55. Right. Which is why they want to vaccinate in grade six because generally speaking, um, individuals aren't getting busy 
by grade six, some maybe, but for the most part. Yeah. Um, so you want to get vaccinated before you have your first sexual encounter. I and I was going to say the, re- the reason why this is, I guess, more of a concern is because uh, HPV can lead to a number of cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's a maybe higher concern than some other uh, STIs. Yeah. That makes sense. Is there anything else that women or people with uterus should um, know, sort of take-home messages from approaching this uh, midlife stage or in this midlife stage in relation to dating and relationships and sex? I think the bottom line for me is you don't have to suffer and you don't have to be silent, right? If you have questions or you're not sure, there's there's nothing that we can't talk about or you can't come in and ask about or that isn't in some way treatable or solvable. There... This isn't a time. This is supposed to be the best. You're spart- You're coming up the U curve. It should be fun, and you should be coming into your own skin in a way that you just don't when you're 20 and 30. And so, however we can use support you to do that is what we want to do. But you don't have to to sort of think that life is over and nothing is ever going to be good again. Great. So then, the question I have for you is: We've been talking mostly about people with uteri. Uteri. <laughs> I just, Although people, I say, just people have with one uterus I was going to say, that each. sounds like you might have two uterus. <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> anyway, people with uterus. Individuals is, or, with the uterus, yeah. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Um, we do have male listeners. And so curiously, we mentioned at the very st- off the top that there is a place for men. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? If there is a place for men to go, it would be good for them to know. Uh, yeah, they come to the Yukon Sexual Health Clinic. You know, there is something um, that they people make reference to, menopause. Um, yeah. It's not as well researched or as well talked about, but definitely they can come to the sexual health clinic and because it's Michelle and I already we're one of the same we're more than happy to talk to men and also men of partners like partners of the uterus (laughs) Um, if they have questions around what's going on with my uterus or my partner's uterus um we do encourage them to come in and talk to us we yeah welcome it and so just briefly what are some of the things that men might come in for So there can be a drop in testosterone, which can look like low libido, which is a change. It can look like fatigue. It can look like erectile dysfunction, um, premature ejaculation, uh, as well as all of that transition stuff. Who am I? What am I doing? Am I in the relationships, the job, the whatever? It's a real time. It's like you're it's this transition time where you're like, I really maybe have 40 years left of my life. Am I doing what I want to be doing? Am I living how I want to be living? And for some people, that's a profoundly disruptive time. Um, and other people, it's a settling time. They really sort of tuck into where, how their how their life is. But if they're having anything physical, that can be one of sort of the, the trigger thing that starts to... And then some people start to... This is when the chronic disease starts to show up, right? right? So, Okay. Yeah, and the mental health, the mood piece can very much impact men as well. I don't think we can underline it enough here that the, the two of you are incredibly approachable. I mean, I've known you both for more than 20 years, well over 20 years. Say, yeah. yeah, like we go back a long way. <laughs> and I've never once ever felt like I couldn't ask you something, you know? I mean, I, awesome. maybe, maybe I need to do it more, but I haven't never felt that way. So I think anybody who's listening right now, uh, these two people are incredible resources in our community. How, can we tell people how can they find the uh, Women's Midlife Clinic and the uh, Sexual Health Clinic? We're on Facebook. Um, you can Google both of those. Uh, They're listed on the government health services uh, under the Yukon government website under health services. A lot of the physician clinics around town do carry our brochures. We don't have a big budget, so we don't have our own website. 
Um, so a lot of people find us by word of mouth. Thank you so much for coming in. It was really interesting talking to both of you. So thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for having us. Great conversation. Please come back. Absolutely. You can't give your dates a rating, but you can rate us. So go ahead. Give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Unless it's below four stars, then don't bother. This episode was recorded in and around Whitehorse, Yukon. Sometimes we use the podcast studio at Yukonstruct, and sometimes we take Frisky on the road. Our music is by Anthony Vega, Sexy Time. Oh, we like fan mail. So send us some. Get in touch through Facebook, the Twitter, or email us at friskynorthof60 at gmail.com. That's friskynorthof6060 at gmail.com. Stay frisky. Stay frisky, everybody. Thank you.